millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, so welcome to the Explaining History podcast for this week. And um, this week I'm going to be looking at the Russian aristocracy uh, from about... 1890 through to 1917, and maybe slightly beyond. Um, the The first thing to talk about, really, is that um, with the, the Russian aristocracy, um, actually perhaps less is written about them than um, about any other class within the Russian Revolution. Um, possibly this is because, you know, the victors have written history... Um, but possibly this is, is because um, the fate of the aristocracy, which um, is the most bloody um, and catastrophic and tragic uh, um, following 1917, um, ha- has been um, less of an area of um, scholastic interest in general. Um, before we go any further, I think that... Um, one of the things that needs to be said about the Russian aristocracy um, in the run-up to 1917 um, is, is a distinction. Um, the, aristo- the aristocracy um, and the nobility are two separate entities. The aristocracy really are the, the top one to two hundred noble families in Russia, um, people who are very well known to the Tsar, extraordinarily rich, unfathomably rich, um, perhaps some of the wealthiest aristocrats in Europe, um, enormous landowners, um, enor- um, very um, important parts of the Tsar's administration um, and very important parts of the military as well. Um, very influential um, uh, politically, religiously, culturally, socially, you name it. Then below them, there's a whole tranche of less of the of the nobles, if you will, who are more minor um, titled people. Um, very often, um, not having very much money at all. Um, there's a, a whole swathe of uh, minor aristocrats or noble noblemen who um, are by the dawn of the 20th century, really financially struggling. Um, and it is among these people that the Tsar quite frequently finds that uh, he has nobles who oppose him. So we've got to imagine this maybe one, perhaps 5% of 
super, super wealthy uh, members of the aristocracy, and then a vast, vast number are, you know, numbering into one or two million, really, of, um, of relatively, you know, ranging from relatively well-to-do to actually dirt poor um, nobility. The um, no, the nobles, uh, contrary to what many Soviet histories would tell you, the nobles actually had, before the revolution, an important part to play within Russian society. Um, and it was it is because the Russian, the, the Tsar and the autocracy stifle um, the abilities of the Russian nobility to do what it is they felt they should be doing, that you actually create, that you actually see a more violent revolutionary situation developing. If we cast our minds all the way back to the 19th century, there had been instances of revolutionary activity from the nobility. The Tsar uh, Nicholas I was very conscious uh, that when Napoleon invaded Russia, that it was the nobles um, who really led the armies of um, of Russia to defeat him. They don't just chase him out of Russia, but march all the way to France. And when these men get to France, um, they see how uh, modern France is and how well European French and other Europeans live. And... Um, begin to question, really, whether it is Tsarism is capable of providing those kinds of things for Russia. If we skip forward from to the 1820s, the first great uprising um, within uh, Russia in the 19th century, in 1826, is by the Decembrists, who are um, noblemen, and officers, many of whom who have fought in the Napoleonic Wars, and have fought to establish, a, have risen up against the Tsar to establish constitutional government, i.e., limitations on the Tsar's power and modern forms of government that will hopefully draw Russia out of its backward peasant past. Moving forward again, um, by uh, 1861, when Alexander II brings about his um, emancipation of the peasantry, once more you have key members of the nobility who are hoping for more and who are looking for more, more modernisation and change. Between 1861 and 1881, gradually it's those reforms and that reforming zeal from uh, Alexander II starts to veer off and starts to um, falter and to fail and to you know, retrench itself back into more reactionary and conservative ways of thinking um, as all of a sudden ministers uh, around Alexander II start to realise that um, the uh, modernisation brings with it um, all manner of unfortunate threats to autocracy. So by the 1860s, 1870s, many noblemen um, realise ultimately 
that the Russia that they would like to see developing perhaps isn't going to. And they notice that um, the the Tsar uh, is storing up uh, a huge powder keg of resentment. As I've said in my previous podcast about the peasantry, the reforms of Alexander II were botched and the emancipation was botched and that left actually the peasantry in a worse situation than it had been before the emancipation. The nobles live out in the countryside for the most part. Um, They are um, uh, remote and live amongst a sea of increasingly angry and embittered and resentful uh, and volatile peasantry. Um, Throughout the 1890s, there's increasing unrest on the land, and then there's an explosion of anger and violence in 1905. So it was within the interests of the peasant, of Begipon, of the nobility, to facilitate change. They knew all too well that Russia was a powder keg. The Tsar and the nobles around him were able to insulate themselves from these realities and able to ignore them. The um, the nobles are less able to do that, um, and they are less able to ignore the harsh realities close to them. The nobles were equally aware that amongst the middle classes, there is the, the very small middle class in Russia, there's a great deal of discontent, because once again, the nobles were monopolising the um, good, uh, nice and well-paid jobs within the uh, Tsarist administration, um, you know, jobs in the civil service, in the army, uh, and in other key areas. This isn't to say that the nobles were completely useless in these jobs, far from it. One of the things that the nobles were very, very useful for was creating the structure of Russian local government, or the Zemstvo. Um, the Zemstvo were a very handy way of um, getting things done um, such as creating schools and hospitals and rural clinics and building roads and bridges and aqueducts and aquifers and wells and all those sorts of handy things at a local level. Um, the kinds of things that the Tsar's government was very, very poor in doing. So by the 1890s, um, the big nobles, the big aristocrats that we talked about earlier on, they um, were, had been given license by Nicholas II really to rule within the regions, within um, rural Russia, um, like feudal lords. Um, they could rule like little dictators. And they frequently overruled the lower nobles who were the ones who were doing the useful work with the Zemstvo. And when this happened, you suddenly get the sense amongst the lower nobles. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ...that they really are the people working for Russia they really are the patriots and they really are the people who are doing useful stuff. And this sets them against the, the aristocracy and against the Tsar. So, interestingly enough, by the time of about the 1905 revolution, you actually have a huge swathe of the nobility in rural Russia who are opposed to the Tsar. After the Tsars just about managed to retain control following 1905, um, the the nobles um, encounter there was an increasing sense of gloom from 1905 to 1917 that really Russia is doomed. Um, they've had a taste of a very big taste of revolution in 1905. Um, many nobles are chased off the land. Their their farmhouses burnt down. Their um, their manor houses are bigger and burned down, and their land seized by the peasants. Uh, and it's a devil of a job for them to get that land back, and it takes quite a lot of armed force. We go through this era of gloom where um, the nobles look to the Tsar and they realise that the Tsar will never do the sensible things that are necessary in order to bring Russia forward into the 20th century. And they, some of the, the nobles wonder whether adopting Western ways um, and Western European modern politics and economics will be the thing to do in Russia, or whether that there is a more Russian answer, um, a more an answer really hidden more in Russia's own past, in you know a, a more well thought out version of of the way the Tsar thought about things. And this era of gloom really is deeply compounded by World War One. When World War One breaks out in the summer of 1914, uh, the instinct of many of the nobility is to go and to um, declare themselves loyal to Mother Russia. Um, the, 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 the nobles perform many, many useful services at this time, they uh, are some of the most capable officers in the army, though actually some of them treat the peasants, the, the, the Russian peasant soldiers, with immense cruelty. Um, many of it is many of the, the the nobles 
who establish um, all the things that a modern army needs that the Tsar can't provide. They go to the front and set up, with the Zemstvo, they go to the front and they dig trenches for the men. Um, the aristocratic uh, generals aren't aware that trenches are necessary in modern warfare with artillery. They assume that the peasants will just simply lie on the ground. They go to the front line and they build field hospitals and um, field clearing stations. Um, they set up tents and temporary barracks. They uh, raise money so that the troops can be bought things like proper boots and greatcoats uh, and other equipment. Um, they set up um, canteens for the men to feed them properly. So all these nobles... Uh, and members of noble society are doing the kinds of things that really the Tsar should be doing himself. So they're filling a gap within uh, Russians, and, and had been doing this for many years. They've been filling a gap during the war that the, that the Tsar should have been filling, and also um, during times of catastrophe and famine back home in Russia, such as the uh, 1892 Volga famine, it is the nobility and the zemstvo that are running around and really organising the relief for these catastrophes. So quite rightly, by the time 1917 happens, by the time the February Revolution happens, it is the nobility that look upon themselves as being the people to, um, uh, to lead Russia. It's no coincidence that Prince Lvov, um, formerly head of Zemgor, which is the nationwide Zemstvo uh, body, winds up as the first prime minister of the new um, provisional government. Um, and again, this ignites certain class tensions within Petrograd in 1917. The first protest... Uh, uh, first of the Petrograd Soviet outside the Torvid Palace um, is one where placards saying, you know, we have lost a Tsar but gained a prince who voted for these people um, is writ large. The, the great catastrophe for the nobility is um, the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. Um, um, Lenin, Trotsky, Zinoviev, Kamenev, Bukharin and all the other key Bolshevik revolutionaries are agreed on one thing, that there must be a terrific uh, revolutionary bloodletting uh, in order to um, move Russia forward to the, kind, to the planned socialist society um, that is um, uh, envisaged um, a, a revolutionary terror must inevitably be, be a part of this um, I'll talk um, about the Red Terror in a separate podcast but suffice to say that when the Russian Civil War begins this is the opportunity that Lenin uh, and the Cheka have been waiting for uh, in order to bring about this radical readjustment of society. Uh, uh, war provides a great um, um, 
cloud, if you will, in which to uh, carry out a wholesale slaughter of the Russian aristocracy. There have been few instances in the 20th century where um, a, a class-based mass killing has been as comprehensive and as far-reaching as that which happens to the Russian aristocracy. The only problem for the Bolsheviks is that um, their plans for a, uh, a new classless society uh, are severely hampered um, by the fact that many of the um, nobles and the aristocrats um, are not just landowners, but um, technicians, scientists, artists, thinkers, writers, um, engineers, designers, uh, and, and social planners, and all the rest of it. The people that know how to do things, and they know how to do the kinds of things that are going to make this new society work, are actually, they're not workers, they're not peasants, they are the nobility. And so it becomes... Um, it, it, it's not an option initially to kill them all off when uh, after the civil war has ended Lenin realises that the country lies in ruins um, he has to make a series of impalatable choices in fact even during the civil war Trotsky had to rely on former nobles and former czarist officers to make up the, the bulk of the officer corps of the new Red Army. Um, and with these, these two decisions uh, meant that between 1917 and 1924, when Lenin dies, that the, um, an element of the old nobility managed to survive. After 1924, for, um, up until 1941, um, Stalin um, dealt with the remainders of the aristocracy through his various purges and terrors. And he was very quick to point out that these people still existed. And so when things went wrong in Russia, particularly during Stalin's uh, five-year plans and his forced industrialization of Russia, he could point back to the existence of these class enemies um, and uh, whip up all manner of um, quite bloodthirsty class resentment and hatred amongst the new working classes uh, and use that to power his various uh, purges and terrors. Okay, well, thanks for listening today. And um, obviously, if you have any questions, you can email me at www.explaininghistory.com. Um, sign up for our newsletter there. And um, if you uh, want to tune in next time, I'll be looking at the the growth of the um, the middle classes uh, prior to the revolution, um, and then we'll be we'll be moving on to look at the various crises from the eighteen eighties all the way through to nineteen seventeen. Thanks very much, and look forward to uh, podcasting again to you soon. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.